0: Welcome to Ridgewood Talks. Through this podcast, we will be introducing you to some of the leaders and legends in our village. We'll keep you updated about fascinating local events, and we'll dig into the town's hot topics and so much more. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeannie Johnson, the founder of Ridgewood Talks and Ridgewood Walks. The goal of these initiatives is to create a kinder, more connected, and more vibrant community. I'm thrilled to be co-hosting this podcast with my good friend and all-around wonderful guy, Jordan Kaufman. We look forward to meeting with you weekly and hearing your thoughts on who and what you'd like to learn about in our beautiful hometown. Enjoy this episode! Hey, Jordan. Everything is going great for you, I'm going to guess, right? It's a beautiful day.
1: (laughs) Of course. Of course. Um,
0: You're just the happiest guy I know.
1: It's another beautiful day in Ridgewood. It's a beautiful time of year and everyone is, you know, outside feeling good about the weather, feeling good about getting close to the end of school. And of course, then the craziness of camps for those of us with kids all starts up. But Before then, uh, we've got an exciting month of May coming up, which is kind of a lead-in to our next guest. May is Mental Health Month, and with that, Jeannie, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest for today's show.
0: Uh, I'm I'm happy to do so. Um, I've known this person for many years and she has given a lot of her time and heart to our community. Her name is Jan Botcher. She's lived in Ridgewood for about 25 years. She raised her son here. Uh, she had a long career in finance and marketing and retired in 2008 and began increasing her time as a volunteer for a number of organizations here in Ridgewood. And she was named to the village of Ridgewood stigma free task force in June of 2019, which was a critical time for people just, you know, teeing up to the pandemic. And so Jan has involved with stigma free since then. And, you know, Jordan, we did that episode, I think it was in December, and we talked to um, Michael Tazzoli, and it was just coming up on Mental Health Awareness Month in January, too. So Michael did a great lunch and learn over at World Flats, and we talked a lot about the issues that we want to talk about today. But honestly, I'm so thrilled to have Jan on the show today, because I want to get a better understanding of what stigma-free is and what we can do to help bring awareness to this Wonderful initiative that I believe was started. I don't know, Jan. You you tell us. Welcome, welcome, Jan Botcher to our. Thank to- you.
2: It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So tell us from the start. What is Stigma Free?
2: Okay. Well, Stigma Free is an initiative of the National Association for Mental Illness and NAMI, as it's all as it's called, and uh, the idea is to um, make people with mental illnesses mental health conditions feel safe feel welcome in the community make sure that they get the services they need and and reduce the stigma because um there is still a lot of stigma around mental health issues not so much now about physical health issues but around mental health a lot of people are embarrassed there's a lot of shame and uh, so people often are uh prevented from getting the services they need because of the shame that they feel.
0: So tell me, what made you decide to get involved with stigma-free? Is there something in your background that made you feel like you needed to lend a voice to this? Mm.
2: If you go way back, my grandmother uh, had paranoia and schizophrenia. And it was fairly well managed with the medications of the time. But there were times when she went off her medications and really had trouble coping in the world. Now, that wasn't something we talked about. It was not something that we uh, created any advocacy around. It was just something we dealt with as a family. But I've known what the face of mental health looks like for a very long time. And then um, I've had family members suffer from depression For the last about 30 years. And so I know what that can be. I've had a stint of clinical depression myself, and I know how challenging that can be. But the real catalyst for me was in 2001, my dearest friend, who was like a sister to me, died by suicide after a very long struggle with mental illness. And that catapulted me into community activism and becoming very involved in the American Association for Suicide Prevention and uh, getting the word out there. And then what happened is shortly after my retirement, the town was looking for people to serve on the stigma-free task force. And I thought, I have the time now. This is something I can do.
0: Thank you so much for serving on that committee. Uh, It is really important. And I think clinical depression that is cyclical, where where you have an episode of depression and then you kind of come out of it and you go back down into it. You know, I've had it myself and I've watched it, it happen all around me. Sometimes people just feel like they have to keep that under wraps, not talk about it and just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, as they say. And the truth of the matter is, you know, look, if we have a broken leg, we go in and get the, the bones set. So why do you think that it is that people feel so much shame when it comes to depression?
2: I think that it is a relic of being very self-sufficient and people not knowing your business and the great sort of um, rugged individualism of America that you really ought to be able to cope with these things. And, and, and it's not visible. That's the other thing. If you looked at my friend, you would have seen a happy, successful, attractive person. But to her, when I, I always describe it as I felt like it was, she was looking in the fun house mirror and she saw something that was very distorted, not a picture of who she really was. And so it's not visible. If you have cancer or if you have a broken leg or something like that, the, it's, it's very visible to people. And, and there's a scan or there's an x-ray or there's a blood test or something. But for mental illness, um, you, don't, you don't have the same markers. And so I do think people are more dismissive of it.
0: Yeah. You know, you said something um, and you called it cancer of the spirit. And I really like that. So can you expound on that a little bit?
2: Well, after Leslie died, it was it was devastating to me. I I spent a lot of time reading and reflecting and I attended a support group that meets over in Dumont for survivors of suicide loss for almost two and a half years to process it all. And one of the things that helped me was was thinking about it like cancer of the spirit. So she had cancer of the body People would have been supportive. They would have brought meals. They would have helped her in any way they could. She didn't feel like she could ask for that help. The stigma um, prevented her from asking for that kind of help. Sometimes people with cancer, you know, they have great treatment and they have a great outcome. And sometimes, despite what the doctors do, there's nothing they can do. The same thing with, with depression that leads to suicidal ideation or the act of suicide. Sometimes people can be really helped by mental health professionals and medications. And sometimes, as in her case, she was treated. She had the best possible um, treatments available to her, but they weren't successful. The doctors couldn't save her. But again, I think part of the reason she died was stigma, because she had asked for a leave of absence from work and had been off a couple of months. And the day she was due to go back, she didn't feel like she could explain what was going on. She didn't feel like she could go back. She felt like a fraud. And that was the day she chose to end her life.
0: So sorry to hear that. That's a terrible story. Um, I think for those of us who, like you said, it's invisible, but when there are circumstantial things that are taking place in our friends' lives, I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that vulnerability that we see in people when there is something that is apparent and Sometimes when we have family or friends that have depression and they do show these suicidal ideations, you know that is a privilege for us to be there for them, whatever the outcome may be, for us to just love them through it, through that stage of their life. What other tips can you give people to help when we recognize or when we're told that our friends or loved ones are going through a challenging time?
2: There was a wonderful article in the New York Times last week, and it it was the three questions you can ask anyone who's hurting, and they always work. And I thought they were great. And I added a fourth. Do you need to be helped? Do you need to be heard? Do you need to be hugged? That was what was in the article. And I added to that, do you need a hiatus? Do you need a break? Should we not be talking about this right now? And it doesn't really matter. It could be job loss. It can be grief over the loss of a loved one. It can be a mental health issue. It can be anything they're struggling with. Those questions work for any crisis that any loved one or friend is going through. And so I think part of it is feeling like people know that they're seen and know that they can be heard if they need to be heard.
0: That's really beautiful advice. I like it a lot. I'm going to record that um, in my brain. I'm going to hang it up over signs in my house. So it's a great way to help people. So Jordan, you know, one of the largest segments of the population that suffer from depression are white men in your age category. What is it like to be someone that is sort of forced into this um, bravado. Um, I, I just really want to hear from you and see if, you know, Jan and I are talking about this so freely. Do you see a stigma amongst your male friends when you're not feeling your best? Are you able to communicate that with your male friends?
1: Uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. We actually were talking about this today. I had lunch with Michael Tazzoli uh, this afternoon. And uh, one of the things that I see just as a trend is a lot of my constituents are working. And with kind of, you know, the continual work invading your private life, and people having kind of a professional brand, if you will, uh, on top of, you know, their the personal stuff that they go through, what has seemingly become a way to skirt around the stigma Of mental health issues is to combine it with professional aspirations. So there's been a little bit of an uptick in professional coaching for individuals who are working. And that coaching, when you look at it, sometimes can seem very mental health oriented, dealing with time management, dealing with stress in a constructive way, finding healthy work life balances. And even if you listen to TED Talks, associated with professional advice or anything like that, it tends to have a mental health component to it. So in some ways, as we talk about stigma, and and I'd love to get Jan's thoughts here on how creating less stigma around mental health also includes making mental health part of a regular conversation, not only when we're dealing with, oh, I'm I'm feeling upset, depressed, or uh, alienated in these particular cases, but it really plays a role, I feel, in kind of everything we do every day of our lives and just having it as part of the component there that, yeah, take a moment for yourself or, you know, when kids are working on school and they and they feel a certain amount of anxiety or stress over it, it's okay to acknowledge it and not see it as weakness, but as just a regular response that we're all feeling. So I, I don't know, Jan, how that, you know, the the way that you know, maybe part of losing that stigma is not just paying homage to all that, you know, we should be paying homage to with respect to uh, mental health and, and how it can have a positive impact, but also just making it part of that everyday conversation. Is that is that something that's part of the mission that you guys have?
2: I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when it comes right down to it, it's all health. You know, we have these two buckets now, we have physical health and mental health, and yet- we know that they're really intertwined. If your heart's racing, you're anxious, you stop and you take a deep breath and it calms you down. You do yoga, it calms you down. And of course, even if you're worried about your health oh, my blood pressure's up, I've gained extra weight, any of those things are going to affect your sense of well being. And if your loved ones aren't healthy, it's going to affect your sense of well-being if be someone you worry about so we create these artificial buckets and for the longest time we we really treated mental health and physical health very differently in insurance coverage and all those sorts of things that has started to come together with mental health parity initiatives but certainly not everywhere and it can still be uh, difficult for people to find mental health providers that are in network and can meet their needs. Where it's, it's, oh, It can be difficult with physical health too sometimes, but I think you, have, you generally have a broader array of providers in physical health and mental health.
0: You know, one of the things that's concerning for me is that we're so fortunate to live in a community like Ridgewood, where we have these stigma-free initiatives, and there's a lot of the stigma-free initiatives all around Bergen County. But I think about some of the underserved communities where, first of all, they don't even have access to health providers. That's a concern. Can you speak to the, the underserved communities in Bergen County? What do they do? Where do they go to get services?
2: That is an excellent point. And I think the barriers to services are the barriers to everything in these underserved communities, economically disadvantaged communities. If you have to think about dealing with a a big bureaucracy, a a utility or a, a healthcare institution, we pick up the phone and we call or if we have to go in, that's fine, we have a car. But imagine if you had to take three buses to do that. Imagine if you had to take time off work and you didn't get paid when you were on hold with these people um, that is some of the barriers that people face if I want to go, not only have to find the money for the copay i I have to find somebody to watch my children when I go or I have to drag them on the bus with me and so everything just makes access that much harder and I have a little telling story i have a a family that really struggled in a lot of ways that I helped. And the other day I was saying, oh, you know, you really guys, you guys should be thinking about life insurance. You could get a little bit of coverage for not very much money, a couple hundred dollars a year. And her response to me was, we're just trying to figure out how to make the rent this month. So when you're, that's what you're worried about, making the rent, putting food on the table, feeding your children, your mental health, self-care is going to be way down the list.
0: One of the reasons why I wanted to bring that up is because, Jordan, I want you to speak on behalf of West Bergen. I know West Bergen helps a lot of people, but can we donate money to West Bergen so they can do an outreach to those underserved communities? How does that work, Jordan?
1: So West Bergen uh, has a sliding scale. In other words, that uh, any cost of service for uh, mental health services are you know based on income. And so that is really their way of of kind of lowering that boundary for underserved communities. Unfortunately, as far as how they can proactively go out and address some of the issues in these underserved communities, is really one of uh, how much scale and capacity they have. And from that perspective, and that I think is when we sit down and have discussions uh, at the board level, or um, you you talk to the executive team there, one of the big struggles they have is capacity, where the supply of mental health services versus the demand for mental health services are horribly out of whack. They were out of whack before COVID, they're dramatically out of whack now. And so in a sense, it really what is driving the attention is the people who are raising their hands. So that just kind of goes to that proactive versus reactive. Um, proactively, and, and that I think is something I'd, I'd love to get Jan's comments to and something we discussed as, as part of this uh interview is to go through what can our listeners do or what can we as society members do to help um progress the stigma-free movement to help our friends, family members, uh, you know, uh, friends, children, all that. How can we kind of help promote this whole mental health movement, which I think is is very important and we'd all agree is something that deserves a lot more attention, a lot more focus. But as far as how do we address the shortfall of supply versus the demand out there, it's really challenging because, you know, if you're a therapist and you just went through all the schooling that's required and and we could go into it's a whole nother topic on um, the process by which one attains the designations they need. Uh, internship programs where effectively therapists are forced to work for free to earn the credits that they have. Social workers are, are pretty much forced to work for free. It's, it's kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to take us down a negative loop there, but um, there really just aren't enough mental health professionals out there, same as there aren't enough healthcare professionals in general for physical health, same as there aren't enough teachers out there to properly uh, you know, address the educational needs of of a lot of uh, people. So it, it's just another industry where we've got a shortage. And an organization like West Bergen, where there's a philanthropic element to it for mental health professionals, it's just that much more challenging because they're effectively leaving income on the table uh, to go and work with an organization like that. But you know is a rewarding work uh, for a lot of mental health professionals they work independently and so this gives them a network to work with this gives them an organization to partner with uh, this can help them maybe farm uh, to to farm out or find the mental health professional who's appropriate for someone they're treating they may start by treating something they have specialty in and then it may develop into something different where they want a network to be able to refer or send that individual to, you know, the next best place so they're getting the help and treatment that they need. So it, it's a complicated scenario. I mean, I I'm I'm this is something I, you know, am, am ankle high in. I'm not, you know, waist high or up to my chin, uh, where, you know, Jan is is much more involved than those who are in the industry really dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, often they find themselves full head dumped underwater because it's just that much. And it's also, it's emotionally taxing work uh, to sit down with a depressed person and try to alleviate their pain or talk about the things that are weighing them down. It's very hard as a human being not to also feel some of that gravity. So these are just, I think just, you know, costs, uh, costs of the industry is, you know, finding people who want to take the step and want to be involved in in the business and go through all the hurdles that are there to make sure that, uh, you know, the professionalism in the industry is upheld.
0: This is where stigma free comes in. So we can kind of be that bridge for those people who are so desperate. Is that how it works, Jan?
2: Well, yes. And one thing I will say about Stigma Free is I'm at this point, I'm the only lay volunteer on the task force. We now have people from the village health department. We have people from West Bergen, from Valley Valley. Um, from, some, from the Lucan Center for uh, Therapy here in town and um, the county is represented. So we have a wonderful collection of people and what I'm loving watching happen every single meeting is the synergy where people said, oh, I can help you with that or I've got materials or, hey, we can help with that. And, and just to watch it happen when you bring like-minded people together, good things happen. And so I see that in every single meeting. You know, I've been thinking about it as, you know, what can I do? I'm this, I'm this individual who landed on this team, but I have a lot of passion for the subject, obviously. And I think about the anti-bullying movement. I read an article one time about if you have 100 kids on the playground and you have one bully and you have one kid being bullied, the secret is not to deal with either of those two. It's to enlist the other 98. And so how can we create upstanders? People who will volunteer, who will reach out, who will try to short circuit behaviors that aren't conducive to people's mental health. So it could, be, it could be things like I talked about before, the four H's. It could be things like speaking out. If you hear insensitive language, one of the things that you know, people say, oh, I'm having a terrible day. I could just kill myself. Or they say, oh, that guy's crazy. And so in doing that, they they trivialize mental health conditions. And so I've gotten much better at pointing that out to people when I see it gently. I, I try not to embarrass people in a group setting, but I'll pull somebody aside later and say, you know, you might want to think about how you phrase that in the future. You know, if we can short circuit some of the bad things happening to our kids or our community members or whatever, by making them feel loved and making them feel included and making them feel honored no matter who they are then hopefully we can prevent worse problems down the road.
1: That's an important thing I think you mentioned there, Jan. I'm going to maybe paraphrase a little bit and say there's really no passive role in the case of mental health in our community setting. You're either unintentionally contributing to it by condoning it in a sense, or you're playing an active role in trying to work to prevent it or better it and sometimes i think that you know it's it it doesn't mean we have to do anything uh herculean you know we don't have to run up and and confront the bully or or be you know the the person wearing a cape but it does mean not provoking and it does mean coming up with a construct where we find positive ways to either you know, send a message that that's good behavior or bad behavior. And I think online, which is a big thing, online bullying has become a larger and larger topic. And, you know, you see people making comments online and then you'll see someone like it or not dislike it or not address it and say, that's not constructive talk. That's, that's bad talk. And we see how that just kind of all snowballs on itself and turns into you know, really, uh, and and many studies on this, how people have personas on the computer and over social media, and they'll kind of distance themselves from the comments or things they say there, because it's like, oh, well, that's just my social media personality. It has nothing to do with my actual personality. And it's, it's just so warped when you hear someone talk about it as if it's not the same as them being in any social circle, you know, using that same kind of language. I I don't know if that's something that also plays a big role in the stigma free task force that you guys think about that, that social media aspect.
2: We do talk about it, but that hasn't been a strong focus for us. I'm going to go back to something you said early, which is it's hard to expect people to jump in and it is hard to jump in. And I don't think anybody should do it at the risk of their safety, either their, their physical safety or their mental health, but Sometimes it just takes taking a deep breath and saying, not cool, dude.
0: The Tyler Clemente Foundation started the upstander pledge and it says, I pledge not to remain a passive bystander, but rather be an active upstander when I witness bullying behavior. And then there's a whole list of things that you commit to doing, you know, interrupting people when you're seeing bullying behavior and report what you see. And also just to reach out to the person who was targeted and let them know that bullying is never okay and help validate how they feel after they've been bullied. So uh, to choose words and actions that show respect and kindness and compassion for all people and always make everyone feel safe and included. And then you commit to being an upstander at all times. So Jan, I I want you to tell us a little bit more about uh, Mental Health Awareness Month in May.
2: Okay. In some ways, every month is Mental Health Awareness Month. But again, NAMI has come up with a theme. The theme this year is more than enough. The idea is to affirm that no matter who you are, everyone is inherently worthy of love, life, and healing. And- That is true no matter what they look like, no matter where they are in their journey, no matter what they are or aren't able to do. And so um, there's programming and information at the NAMI website, that's nami.org, about some of the steps people can take and uh, some of the programming they have. There's always great reading on that website. Again, there's that kind of programming going on every month, but I think it's turned up a notch in the month of May.
0: So Jan, tell us too, are there any events taking place? How can we get involved? What are we supposed to do?
2: I think that everybody can find their local mental health organizations. If you don't know what they are, like if if West Bergen or Care Plus or some of the others don't come rolling off your tongue, just search mental health provider in your zip code and it'll come right up. And then follow those pages because there's so much going on, the village of Ridgewood, or if people are not, don't live in Ridgewood, their town has a wonderful website about stigma-free resources and stigma-free events. The Village website's through the health department. And so there's not only the mental health awareness programs, but there are also wellness programs, yoga, exercise, walking challenges, that sort of thing. Because again, physical health and mental health are all intertwined. I encourage people to look for all the resources in their community because they are out there. And the first step is educating yourself as to what the issues are and then what programs and resources are available and asking people to come along with you. And this is actually one place you can help us out. You have 3000 followers. The village of Ridgewood stigma free page has 300. Now I have a hard time believing that only 10% of your listeners are interested in mental health issues in the community. So I'd love a shout out from you to the people who follow you to say, hey, follow the, follow the stigma Free uh, Facebook page and website. And that's a great way for you to learn about what's going on in the community in this area.
0: Oh, that's great. That's a really good idea. And I also think just, you know, one of the most important things that we can do just human to human is just recognize when someone is feeling vulnerable and to validate that instead of shaming someone for not, being strong at that particular moment. I think that just human compassion goes a long way. And I really want to commend you. Like you said, you're the only layperson on the stigma-free task force in town. So thank you for all the effort that you put in there and go back to your team and tell them how much we appreciate what they're doing. I know you guys march in the 4th of July parade. I see stigma-free banners up around town too. So just keep up the good work.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we we fielded a team this year to walk in the suicide prevention walk that AFSP runs. And so we get together as a team. We table at various events. Um, we're going to be tabling at a, at a mental health symposium in May. And so the health department is willing to come out and talk to people and Um, help not only with mental health issues but also give them a plug for their physical health stuff for example I'm a member of the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood and they came and tabled one morning after service and talked about all the various programs that were available both physical health mental health they had COVID testing kits they gave away and they would love to do more outreach in the community for religious organizations or fraternal organizations um, social organizations whatever
0: so Thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming on our show today. We really
1: appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks so much, Jan. Thanks for all the work you do.